No, let's stand up and pray. I, I would like to, to uh, have a word of prayer before we continue. Heavenly Father, we give you glory, praise, and thanksgiving. We thank you that we're able to gather together to study your word, to hear your word tonight. We thank you that it is your word that teaches us, Lord. It is you who comes and speaks because you, Christ, are the living word. And it is your word that is able to penetrate through our soul and spirit, bone and marrow, the division of the mind, the heart. We thank you for this because your word is alive and active. For this we thank you. Heavenly Father, I ask you, my God, may you please make me small and make yourself big as I preach tonight your word, my Lord. May you open up our hearts, our ears, and our minds, and mine especially, to your word as you give us this word, Lord. Feed us tonight, my God, that we may go and home and, and chew on your word and, and ponder on it and meditate on your word as we go home. To you be the glory in Christ our Savior, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Romans chapter 12 and chapter 15. I'm sure all of you have had good discussions in the last 15 minutes or so. And I want to ask you a question. Maybe one of you or two of you want to share on what you learned or discussed. Anyone? Any takers? This uh, consumerism mentality or now you'll just sit and listen for me, listen to me as I speak. But if any of you want to share something that you learned as you were edified by one another, you're more than welcome to just raise your hand, just share something. Let's go with the, with the sisters first. Sisters, any of you want to go first? Did anyone sh share or learn something while you were having Bible discussions? Sure, please. Yeah, just say it out loud. prayer okay good genuine prayer not, not something that checks off the list okay good living in the word and not just reading it that's good now brothers let's go from your side who wants to share what did you learn what did you hear from one another see this is why we actually come together and teach one another encourage one another and speak to one another Right? We don't just gather just to have a good time. Yeah, a good time's a good time, but we're also here to learn from one another. Are there any volunteers? Anyone? All right. We love each other by forgiving each other. Amen. Amen. Is that true? That's good. That's good. Yes, forgiving. So serve, what does this mean to serve? And I want to just give you a few of the titles that we'll be covering throughout the slide. So what does it mean to serve? Our own sacrifice, God gives gifts, signs of a true believer, serve practically, being sober-minded, and Jesus Christ, the ultimate example. When we look at serve, it, you look at this picture as if someone's giving a bowl of soup to somebody, yes, that's a service. They're serving somebody. But that's not the only thing that serving has to do. Serving encompasses so much more. Let's think about the time that somebody used, the energy that somebody used to create that soup. They served their time. Then somebody came and shared their time to serve someone. Then someone afterward 
gave their time to clean up after those people. So serving isn't just one thing. You give and you're done. It's encompassing everything. And scripture is very clear about us Christians serving one another. When we read Romans chapter 12 and when we read Romans chapter 15, Apostle Paul is very clear on what it means to serve. And I want to read a few passages tonight, a few verses. So let's open up to Romans 12, 1 through 3, and we're going to go kind of uh, systematically from the beginning towards the end. So let's go for verse 1, chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen. So here's the question. How do you begin? How do you begin to serve? You present yourself to God. If you want to serve someone, you cannot serve them unless you first come to God, repent, surrender your life to Christ, honor Him, surrender to Him, because you yourself cannot do it. You yourself cannot serve. You cannot just become a living sacrifice on your own. You need to first come to Christ. You need to present yourself to Christ. You need to surrender your life to Christ. And then... Once you do that, you are able to acknowledge, and you do acknowledge that you can't do anything on your own. You can't do absolutely anything. And so one of the points is, this is our worship. Your worship is your surrendering to God. Now let's just think about this for a moment as we read through verses 1 through 3. That's our spiritual worship. Coming before Christ, surrendering, and saying, Lord... I can't do it on my own. I need your help. Lord, I can't do anything. I need your help. Now let's just stop there and think, well, what exactly do we need help with? Are you, are you able to control your breathing? Are you able to control your heart beating? Are you able to control some of these things? Are you able to control the external things that are in your life that you can't control at all? When you began to think like this, you come to realization, yeah, I can't control absolutely anything. I can't even control what my kids say. I can't control anything. You can't control your parents. They can't control you to a certain degree. But God is in control of all things. And so when you come before him and say, Lord, I surrender. I acknowledge who I am. I acknowledge that I sinned before you. I repent of my sins, and I want to do your will. I surrender before you, and I present my life to you as a living sacrifice. You see, that's what a sacrifice is. Sacrifice is not something that uh, we can do easily. Sacrifice costs a lot. It's a lot. I was reading recently uh, a list of a lot of the recipients who received the Medal of Honor in the United States military. If you're ever bored, you can just go on the website and read all the stories of all these young men, ages 18, 19, 20. And let me tell you, the majority of those who received that Medal of Honor, the story ended like this. The young man, not thinking of himself, 
took his helmet off, put it over the grenade, jumped on top of the grenade, and was the ultimate sacrifice that his friends can live. Honestly, out of majority of those stories, that was about 50% of them right there. Some 18, 19, or 20-year-old kid doing that for his friends so that they can live. He gave his life up, and the term was always there. He gave the ultimate sacrifice so that his fellow soldiers can live. That's a sacrifice. You see, what are we sacrificing to God? Here's a question for all of us. You see, God gave a sacrifice to us a long time ago. Even before we loved him, he loved us and died for us, Scripture says. While we were still yet sinners, he died for us. He did everything. He paid the ultimate price. He gave his own life so that we can have life. The living died for us so that we, the dead, can live again. He sacrificed himself for us. Now the question is, uh, what do we present before God? How are we able to surrender to God? And so when we are able to surrender, when we do come to God and surrender our lives and say, Lord, I want to do your will. I present my life before you. Do with me as you will, not as I will, but as you will. You see, we're worshiping God and we're acknowledging that he's in control of all things. We're acknowledging that he's in full authority and we're acknowledging that we can't do anything on our own. We're acknowledging that he is in charge and that he is able to do all things for his glory and good. And once we come to that realization, life is easier because we realize we can't do it on our own anyway. And once we realize this and surrender our lives to him, then we're able to live for him. We're able to serve one another. And then we renew our mind. Well, a question for you is this. How do we renew our mind? How is our mind to be renewed? And what does it mean for the mind to be renewed in the first place? I want to give you a practical story. When COVID hit, at our store where I work, people would run in and, and act just crazy. They would be grabbing everything left and right. They were rude. They were mean. They were hostile. They were uh, swearing. People were freaked out. And uh, this lady in particular, she ran up and she says, what do I need to buy? I looked at her and lady, I don't know. You know, just don't come up to me right now. And she said, no, I'm serious. And she's so afraid. I looked at her and said, do you really want my honest opinion? She said, yeah, please. Because everyone's grabbing flour, only to understand two weeks later they need baking soda for that flour, right? Or yeast. So anyways, I look at this lady, I'm like, get oranges and get apples. Put it in your, in your garage and you could sit there for months. You'll be just fine with all that. But I already have all that. I said, I can't help you. Lord, you need the Lord. That's it. You need Jesus. And she just looked at me and she kept on going. So every night I would come home, and from all the panic, I would recite Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And I would recite Psalm 23 over and over and over. And then I would feel this peace, and then I would go to sleep, no problem, wake up and do it all over again. And that word, God's word, it renews our thinking, our mind. I want to ask you a question. It was a great comment today that we heard. Not just reading, but knowing and being a part of God's word. Reading it, knowing it, living it. Are you doing that? Is your mind being renewed 
by the word of Christ or not. You see, because as you read God's word daily and God's word renews your mind and gives you strength, it changes your thinking. Your thinking becomes through the lenses of scripture. Imagine, you look through the lenses of the Bible. That's what that means. You're looking through scripture, through what scripture teaches you to see things as. Then you have a different perspective. Your mind's renewed because of the word of Christ. As your mind is renewed, God gives discernment. We'll find it in that passage as well. We're able to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You can't come to discernment all on your own. You can't come to this, to this ability to see, well, this is right and this is wrong. Technically, we don't have the right to do that. Scripture defines what is good and Scripture defines what is evil. You and I on our own can't. We come to Scripture and Scripture tells us, what is good, and what is not. So from that first point, what does it mean to serve? First, before we serve, we have to come to Christ, surrender our life to him, give our life up over to him, and then he is able to give us the ability to serve. And so from there, after we come to Christ, he gives us gifts, as it says in his word. Why does God give you and I a gift? The answer is there, but why? To serve one another, maybe? Or just take the gift and hold it to myself? See, let me give you an example. If you were to receive a, a super nice, what, what do you all like these days? Let's say a boat. Okay, you, you get a nice, a super nice boat. And you take that boat and you say, I'm going to ride it all by myself. You go to the lake, and you sit in that boat all by yourself, and you just go floating all alone in that boat. After some time, what will you experience? Loneliness. What else? Boredom. What else? Sadness. Yeah, absolutely right. You're going to experience all these things. And then you're going to head back with that boat, go to the dock, and then what are you going to do? Hey, who wants to go with me? Who wants to share my happiness? Who wants to experience this joy with me? You see, gifts weren't given to us by Christ so that we could take the gift, go into our own room, and sit there. And then from that room, go into a different room, and then our whole entire life will go by just living for ourselves because God gave us a gift or a talent or something. You see, that's not what God tended it as. God gives us gifts. So we could serve one another, so we could teach one another, encourage one another, build one another. As we read in Scripture in the church, it says in, in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 8, and then it says later on in 1 Corinthians 14. When you read about that chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Apostle Paul speaks about the spiritual gifts for the church. And when you look at all those verses, 3, 5, 12, 26, you see these words. Upbuilding, for the building up, to be upbuilt. You find that common word. All these gifts, and as we read, through, as you read through Romans chapter 12 and verses 3 through further on up to verse 8, there are these gifts that God gives to all of us. He gives us spiritual gifts so that we can edify one another, build one another. As it says in Corinthians 12, 8, it's for the common good for all 
our common good. It's not just for you and me to be separated from one another and enjoy our lives alone. It's to encourage one another. You see, we were made to socialize. We were made to be friends. We were made to talk to one another. We are social creatures. Amen? We are made to socialize. We are made to be friends. We are made to serve one another. All right, Ephesians 2, 20 through 21, it says these words, built on the foundation, Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. What does Apostle Paul say in that passage? And I know I'm taking other passages, not out of Romans only, but just to bring a point. You see, we are built, we are made into the image, we are adopted and placed into the body of Jesus Christ. He is the head, we are the body. Now, if you are a hand and someone else is a foot, someone else is the back and someone else is, say, the bladder or something internal that's not seen, the gut, the liver, all these things need one another to live. Someone needs to be the filter. Someone needs to be the one to carry the oxygen. Someone needs to be the one to grab something or to walk somewhere or to pat someone else on the back. You see, a hand can't survive on their own. And the heart needs some, something, too, to pump to. And so we're placed into this body where Christ is the head. He's in control. We're part of his body. And he moves us. He shapes us. He changes us. He fits us where he wants us to be because it's his body. Now that's our spiritual worship. Lord, I accept you. You're my Lord, my God. Forgive me of all my sins. Now where am I in your body? Where can I be of most use to you? Where can I be useful to those around me? Where can I be an encouragement and building up to those who are around me, sitting by me? See, that's why God gives us gifts. Romans 15, 2, it says, Please, his neighbor, for his good, to build him up. I mean, we're even to please our neighbors if we're able to in order to build our neighbors up. All right, what kind of neighbor do you have, and what kind of neighbor are you to your neighbors? A good one or a bad one? The grouch or the silent one? The one that no one knows? A couple months ago, we were, uh, my wife and I, or I should say about a month ago, my wife and I and the kids, we took the kids out on a trip. And before we did, I went and gave some gifts to my neighbor. We sometimes just leave stuff at her door and write a little note or something. My kids will say something or give her something. And she sent us a text. And it said something like this. I'm so happy that you're my neighbor. Andrew and Katie, I'm so happy and blessed. God bless you. God bless your family. I'm so glad that we're next-door neighbors living by each other. I'm reading this text. I'm like, Katie, look. This is probably one of the nicest things I've ever heard a neighbor say to us, right? And she's, oh, wow, that's really sweet of her. And then she says, oh, we'll make sure we watch the house while you're gone. We'll take your trash back inside while you're gone. We'll do everything for you. That's our neighbor. Now, if you were a neighbor, how would you like to be treated? Now treat that neighbor of yours the way you want to be treated. That's scriptural, right? Serve them. Serve them. God gave us gifts, not so that we can hoard it to ourselves, 
but to serve one another spiritually. Spiritually, and that's encouragement. Uh, that's teaching. That's all of the attributes, the gifts that we see throughout Romans 12, 3 through 8. Read those passages. Read that scripture. Read that part. I'm sure you have. Then we go further down Romans 12, 9 through 21. The signs of a true Christian. Now, a lot of people will try to make these signs and they'll live them out to prove that they are good. But it's impossible over time, over a period of time, to show these things consistently over and over and over without having a changed heart. You can't be a genuine person forever unless you have a changed heart. Unless you have an attitude of Christ, unless you have a life surrendered to Christ. Now, we're not going to read all these passages. We're not going to read all that for the sake of time. But one of these passages says, let love be genuine. And it was one of your questions. It wasn't the word genuine. It says, let love be without hypocrisy, I believe is the way you had it stated. Let love be genuine. What does this mean? I want to I uh, share a few things with you that I researched before uh, to bring an example, and it's Twitter. You, know, you all know Katy Perry. She has, uh, according to her Twitter, 34 million followers. The total fake and inactive followers are 27 million. Ouch, that's not very genuine-like, is it? Let's go down the list. Lady Gaga, 36, 36 million followers, 28 are fake and inactive. Barack Obama, 29 million followers, 23 fake and inactive. Taylor Swift, also 26 million, 21 million are fake. Britney Spears, 25 million, 20 million are fake. Rihanna, 29 million followers, 19 are fake. Justin Bieber, 37 million, 21 million are fake. That's a lot. Newsweek came out with this article saying half of Joe Biden's Twitter followers are fake. And that's Newsweek. That's not a conservative site. Is that genuine? No, it's totally opposite. Now, let's do a flip side. I read an article on Forbes that stated these words. What makes, what are the 12 top signs of a genuine person? And as I read these, just, just the headlines, think of Apostle Paul. You ready? Number one, genuine people don't try to make people like them first. Second, they don't pass judgment. Genuine people are open-minded. And that's the most truest Christian. Apostle Paul always said, let us reason together. Okay. Point number three. They forge their own paths. Later on in chapter 15, you see Apostle Paul saying, I don't want to preach somewhere where it was already preached. I'm going to go somewhere else. And he talked about Spain. Number four. They are generous. It's true. Apostle Paul gave everything that way. Number five, they treat everyone with respect. 
Number six, they aren't motivated by material things. Number seven, they are trustworthy. Number eight, they are thick-skinned. Number nine, they put away their phones. That's modern time, right? So yes, we put away our phones when we speak with one another to see if we're genuine or not. Number 10, they aren't driven by ego. They don't have that egoistic pride. Number 11, they aren't hypocrites. Well, opposite of genuine is that, right? And 12, they don't brag. What did Apostle Paul say? But if I boast, I'll boast in who? I'll boast in the Lord. I'll boast in the cross. Isn't that interesting? This is a secular, this is not a Christian article, but I thought it was so interesting that a, a secular article is proving the point what genuine people are. And so Apostle Paul writes this. He says, let your love be genuine. Not like that on Twitter. We already saw that. What about you? Are you genuine or not? What's your Facebook? What's your Instagram? That's a, lot of it, a lot of it is full of phony stuff. Phony feelings, phony lifestyle, phony everything. It's fake. Or is it genuine? It's up to you. Think about it. Apostle uh, Matthew wrote these words. He said, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Are you genuine around your family? Are you able to bless instead of cursing? Try it on the freeway. Someone cuts you off. What do you do? Go back at them? Or do you just pull back and say, Lord, bless them. Bless them, let them have it. Just bless them and just let them go. Try that. You see these little things. They're signs. They... they they prove whether we're a Christian or not over a long period of time. And if you really doubt, a lot of times I'll ask my wife, hey, Katie, am I a Christian? She says, yes. So how do you know? I ask her, plain, how do you know I'm a Christian? She says, well, and she starts saying certain things, characteristics, words, the way you respond to people the way you're able to interact, the way you show kindness, the way you're, are you the same at church and at home and at work and everywhere, or are you a different person? You see all these things, show something. It shows whether your heart was changed, whether you surrendered to Christ at one point or not. So I want to ask you the question, do you have signs in your life that show evidence that at one point you came to Christ or not? And if you say, you know, I can't, I can't check myself, ask a friend, ask your parent, ask someone who watches you every day and say, hey, be honest with me. Because in Proverbs it says, the one who gives an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Be honest with me. Am I a Christian? Do you see signs? Do I show outward signs that I'm a Christian? All right, then there's also a serve practically. So there's a serve spiritually. Now there's a serve practically, okay? So seek, so serve each other practically. Seek to show hospitality, generously share. You see, some of those words, are they're all from uh, Romans chapter 12, 9, and down further through 21. 
You'll find these words there. Apostle Paul is so practical. He's so simply saying, love one another, outdo one another in showing honor, serve the Lord, continue to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Who here likes to show hospitality? Raise your hand. You know, honestly, it's not that popular these days. But years ago, years ago, we would always very often have different churches visiting us, right? Like every two weeks, every three weeks, there's someone from California, someone from who knows where is rolling up. And so very often we would have to take people home. It was uh, over 10 years ago now, I remember my sister Lena was in charge of feeding the, the choir from Portland, I think. And uh, I came from work, we helped clean up, and she said, Andy, I'm taking four girls home tonight. It was very common, we always did this, right? So she said, I'm taking four girls home, they're all there, but I still need to clean the kitchen up, I still got to break everything down and, and, and finish everything up. Can you please take them home? I said, Lena, I came on a sprinter, I got no chairs, no seats, no nothing. She's like, we'll figure it out. Because I don't want these four girls sitting here with their suitcases for another hour and a half. It's already 10, 10.30. Please take them home. I said, sure. So I took four chairs, uh, the kind like that, right? And uh, I, I put them in a row behind the driver's seat, and I strapped it with the ratchet down. So I strapped these four chairs. So girls, are you okay with me taking you home? My sister's still over here. I said, yeah, it's totally fine. So I took their luggage. I put it in the Sprinter. They all sat inside. I said, sorry, no seatbelt, sorry, it's kind of uh, rugged and whatnot, but we'll be home in about 20 minutes. So as we're driving, so that there's no this awkward silence, there was a lot of it, so I just kept talking nonstop, everything and anything that came to my mind. And so uh, we're driving in Carberry, and there's this woman's correction facility, right? So to call it short, I said, oh, and that over there is the woman's jail, and it's already kind of a foresty, it's getting pretty dark. And they said, are you almost home? I said, yeah, like five minutes, next exit, and we're there. I said, okay, are you sure you're almost home? Like, yeah, I'm almost home. It's the big deal. So we're coming up to the exit, and they're like, hey, when's the exit? I'm like, this is the exit. Now, by this point, there's no street lights. It's, it's just dark. There's trees everywhere. And it, nothing hit me, okay? Nothing hit me at all. So I take the exit. They said, well, what's over there? What's the lights over there? So, oh, that's Target and stuff. That was a couple of years ago. But our house is on the other side of the freeway. So we cross the bridge. We come to the T. It's dead, pitch, silent, and dark. I said, yeah, just next turn. I said, uh, where are you taking us? I'm taking you guys home. You know, it didn't even hit me still by that point. We take next turn. We drive down the road. And, of course, uh, the, before we get to our house, we drive by the darkest part in all of your harbor. So we drove through this tree canopy, right? And there's trees over us, and it's pitch black. The only thing you see is that, you know, that neighbor who hoards school buses and computer parts for a living? That was him right there on the right side. And at this point, the girl just yelled at me and said, Stop the car! So I stopped. I'm like, oh, no. They think I'm kidnapping or something. So I stood there. I'm like, I don't know what to do. She said, reverse, turn around. I said, I can't. It's a one-way road. It's all gravel. Yeah, I can't drive into that creepy neighbor's house, so I can't reverse. She's like, reverse now. I said, I can't. I, I can't see where I'm going. It's dark. And it was, you know, a hill and a reverse on a curve and whatnot. So I said, 
I, I can't reverse. She said, well, take us home now. Take us back to church or some, some store. I'm like, oh, man, I don't know what to do. So what do I do? What do I do? So I'm like, hey, I got an idea. Let me call my dad and you talk to my dad while, you know, and figure it out. He'll tell you who I am. She looked at me like that was a crazy idea, but nonetheless, it worked. So I said, Dad, there's these girls. They think I'm kidnapping them. Please talk to them. And he's like, what? I said, please. So I gave the phone and said, talk to my dad. So as he's talking to her and calming her down, I start driving. Finally, I get home. We drive in. I open their side door, open up the door to our house, and on the top of my lungs, I yell, Olga, we're home. <laughs> she came down the stairs, and she's like, yay. <laughs> You'll see it. You'll understand in just about a minute. The girls walked in. They were served. Everything went well. But that was one of the stories of showing hospitality that I don't think I'll forget for the rest of my life. Fast forward about six years later, right? So about four years ago, some of those same girls were staying at my sister's house. They came to our church. And my sister and her husband took them over and showed them hospitality and took them into their house. And I'm like, yeah, about 10 years ago, or at that point it was six years ago, we stayed at somebody's house. And this guy, we, you know, he was actually, you know, taking us home, but we thought he was kidnapping us. And so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was great. And so my sister's like, oh, that's my younger brother, you know. So it was uh, very interesting how the world is very small. But, but please, show hospitality to one another. Accept people to your home. Feed them. Give them a place to sit. Share with them your house. You see, a person that is open with their home, they're open with everything. They're ready to share. And it's something so practical but it's something so meaningful and deep. And it's as simple as, hey, if you go on a date, bring them to your house. Give them breakfast. Don't be afraid or ashamed of your home. What's there to be afraid of? If the person has good intentions, they'll go home to your place. They won't be afraid at all. Those who have bad intentions, no, 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 I won't go, I won't go. Keep that in mind. Show hospitality. Seek to show it, Apostle Paul says. Now as we go forward, it says in Romans 15, 7, welcome one another. And I want to read this passage. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Colossians 3, 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. When you are showing hospitality, when you are serving one another, when you're feeding, when you're giving someone a place to stay, you're serving the Lord himself. You see, a lot of times, a lot of people will stand before Christ one day and say, Lord, when, when did I not see you? When did I not give you water? When did I not feed you? When did I not clothe you? And what did Christ say? You didn't do it to the least of these. If you do it to the least of these, you did it unto me. And sometimes it's so hard to just give your neighbor or, or that child or someone else's child water or, or something. Serve them. Serve them. If you're doing it to them, you're doing it to Christ. That's how we know. Amen? And something as that simple. Serve practically. Remember who you are. Remember 
that Christ redeemed you. He bought you. Remember that you were once an old person. Now you are a new person. The old has gone. The new has come. I'm a new creation. Keep that in your mind. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, 16, never be wise in your own sight. Never. Think of others with sober judgment. Apostle Paul says in the other epistles, don't think of yourself so highly, but think of others. The world does not revolve around you. The world does not revolve around me. At a, one of the retreats we had just a couple days ago, one of the staff, girl staff, came out and said, man, these girls are pretty hard. Between uh, grades 6 through 8, right? I said, God bless you all. And she said, I told one of the girls, the world doesn't revolve around you. And she said, actually, it does. You know, so, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't revolve around me. It doesn't revolve around my kids, even though they think it does. It doesn't. Not around you at all. The world was created by Christ. He's the creator of all things. He's in full control. And it revolves at his word his command. Just remember that. We who are strong, Romans chapter 15 verse, verse 1 says those, these words, we who are strong have an obligation with the, to bear the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. We have an obligation. Those who are strong have an obligation to serve those who are weaker. Why? Let's, let's uh, think about this. You know what Darwinism teaches? The superior race never helps the inferior race. That's what Nazism did. They tried eradicating the sub-races because they, the Aryans thought they were supreme above all. They were the elite. Yet scripture is so opposite. Those who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. You see someone hurting, you help them. You strengthen them, you encourage them, you bring them up. You say good, encouraging words, kind words. You see in Romans chapter 15, verse 3, Christ did not please himself, it says, those words. But what does it say? For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written... The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. That means Christ took all of our reproach on himself once and for all. So let's keep going. The Apostle Paul says, I appeal to you, strive together with me in your prayers. So when we read this title, sober-minded, what does that mean? Not under the influence of pot. Or, or drugs, or alcohol. Yeah, that is what it means. But being sober-minded, you're constantly aware of what's going on. You're constantly aware of what you're doing. You're constantly aware that you need to understand you ought to serve. You're constantly aware that if you are strong, you help the weak. If you are older and you have younger siblings, you have nephews, nieces, science school teacher, whatever, whoever you are, if you're spiritually stronger than someone who is at the same age as you are, but they're spiritually weaker than you, help them. Help them. Don't think of yourself. Serve them. Being sober-minded, you're always aware of these things. You're always aware that Christ did not please himself. 
but came to please his Father and ultimately gave us life. And then Apostle Paul says, I appeal to you. Notice that in chapter 12 in the beginning, he said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. He again, chapter 15, towards the end, he says, I appeal to you, strive together with me in your prayers. Being sober-minded allows you to pray for those who are in need of prayer. Not just for yourself, right? I have kids, and I was, uh, my wife and I, we teach them every evening to pray. And so uh, we have this second, Abner, right, Avik. So it was, it was his turn to pray. And for the last week, every evening, we're like, hey, it's your turn to pray. So he prays, and he says, God, thank you for Mama, for Papa, for Jehu, skips his sister Hannah, for baby Joshik. Amen. And Hannah. Mm -mm. Pray, thank you, Jesus, for Hannah. Nope. He doesn't want to. He, he won't. It's been a whole week. Now Hannah hears that and she starts screaming and crying. Oh, he doesn't want to pray for me. You see that even at that young age, at age four or five, you have this sinful nature. You don't want to oftentimes pray for someone you don't want to or don't like. But why don't you try it? Somebody hurt you. Somebody said something. Somebody did ill against you. Pray for them. Bless them. Lift them up in prayer. Not only those who are kind to you and love you, but pray for those who are nasty towards you as well. Pray for them. That's what Christ did. He prayed for those who beat him, who were killing him, who mocked him, who spat at him. Yet he still prayed for them. Father, forgive them, he said. Stephen, he was being stoned. Lord, take away their sin. Don't hold it against them. Now, last point, Jesus Christ is the ultimate example. Christ did not please himself, Romans 15, 3. And Christ welcomed you, just remember that, 15, 7. And then Christ became a servant, Romans 15, 8. He became a servant, he came, he served people. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, says scripture. He became us so that he can serve you and I, and that's ultimately what he did when he went to the cross. He thought of you, and he thought of me. And that's why he gave up his life, so that we can have life, life in abundance, not for ourselves, but for him. You see, he served us. Now he calls us to serve one another. Have you served your fellow neighbor recently or not? Have you served within your family? Are you free willingly serving, not under compulsion, but willingly are you serving those around you? When you do, you're serving Christ. Let's remember that. Let's remember what Christ did for us on the cross. If you don't know him, accept him as Lord and Savior. If you don't know that Jesus died for you, acknowledge it. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of you. You died for me. I accept you as my Lord, my God, and my King. Let's stand up for prayer.